Holy Spirit of the living God, we invite you into this place, Lord, to shine your light, to cast out all darkness, and to glorify the name of Jesus through your living word. It is in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Are you happy in Jesus today? Amen. We're going to continue on in Paul's letters to Timothy uh, because they're just so good. I know when you saw the gospel reading, you all thought he's going to preach on healing because he always does, <laughs> but I'm not going to today. Not physical healing anyway. Um, I've never been the athletic type. Uh, so in grade school, I was uh, always one of the last picked. Uh, except for uh, Gavin Rogers, who was infamous for picking his boogers at the pencil sharpener. But anyway, I was usually one of the last pick. I, we, I went to this private Lutheran school, and we had to do these, uh, we had these, this field, and we had to do running laps, and I was always in the back. <laughs> you, know. you don't, I will never sign up for a marathon or a 5K or, or anything like that. I couldn't tell you which football team is different from the next. Um, Anybody ever feel like that, trying to follow Jesus? <laughs> I can't keep up. <laughs> you should, because if you don't, you might not be following him. <laughs> following Jesus is hard. It, it, it is challenging. And it actually requires everything of us. But it is a life of hope and joy and peace in the Lord. But it is a challenge, and we are called to endure. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. If you have your Bible, that's where we are. Or otherwise, you can turn in your bulletin. I was going to preach on Jeremiah, and I actually had about three-quarters of a sermon written. And I just and it, sometimes I get that early on in the week, and I was like, great, Monday night, and the sermon's already done for Sunday. I can get a lot done this week. Um, but I just felt the Lord, I just kept looking at it and I thought, this isn't the sermon for today. This isn't what God wants to say. And so I ha- had to be obedient and I just kept going back to this Timothy passage and it was, it was challenging me and speaking to me in such a powerful way that I thought, this is where we have to, this is where we have to hang out on Sunday. This is what we need to look at. So Paul says this, he's writing to Timothy. Actually, he's been talking to him about um, using these uh, metaphors of a soldier and an athlete and a farmer in the Christian life, Um, actually being persistent in all things to follow Christ. And he says this, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David as preached in my gospel. You know what Paul's saying here? Don't get Jesus wrong. He says he's a descendant of David, right? So Paul is placing Jesus as a historical person in a historical context, right? There's a lot of not real Jesuses out there. There's a lot of phony Jesuses out there in our culture, bad ideas about Jesus, but there's a real Jesus who's rooted in history, who is the eternal heir of David's throne, whose kingdom will have no end, as we say in our creed every week. Paul says, this is the Jesus that is preached in my gospel. This is the one that you must keep your eyes fixed on. He is the real deal. Friends, today so many Christians are getting their notions about who Jesus is or about Christianity from the culture, from television, from radio, from internet sources, rather than from the only reliable source. The only reliable and authoritative source that tells us who he actually is. I want to read to you, this is from our book of Common Prayer, the Catechism, which is in the back of the book that collects dust in most of our uh, our BCPs. And it says, question, what is the New Testament? And it says, answer, the New Testament consists of books written by the people of the New Covenant under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
to set forth the life and teachings of Jesus and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom for all people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God. Friends, this is the only reliable resource to get your Jesus from. I promise you that. Now, um, you know, the History Channel and National Geographic, they want to tell you about Jesus who uh, was taken down from the cross before he died and moved to India and got married and all of this nonsense. Uh, please, please be cautious about what resources you're using to learn about Jesus. Um, when bankers are trained, they have to uh, take a training and really learn what real, you know, $100 bills look like and study them very closely so that as soon as they see a counterfeit, they know what it, what it is right away. They know it's a fake because they know what the real thing is. They know the real thing so thoroughly. And if we know the word, the authoritative word of God and how, who, who Jesus is as revealed in here, we'll be able to spot fakes in the culture. And there are a lot of them, I tell you. Um, there's this, there's this uh, image of Jesus in our culture that I see a lot. And he's, he's, he's kind of this namby-pamby teddy bear who, uh, who affirms and accepts everyone and everything unconditionally. Uh, he doesn't get offended by sin. Ah, no big deal, you know. Friends, there are people who are clinging to this Jesus and destroying their lives by justifying sin, and they are heading to eternal separation from him. Uh, the Bible tells us that, that Satan is, uh, is the father of lies, and so his whole goal is to get people to be deceived about how they think about Jesus. He doesn't care if you believe in Jesus. He just wants to make sure you don't get the real one. Right? And so it's so important. I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but it's so important that we know who Jesus is from here, that we know the whole counsel of Scripture so that we get Jesus right because it has major, eternal, significant ramifications for our lives. The Jesus of the gospel says things like this. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be cast into hell. You don't hear this Jesus in culture. Right? He is full of grace and truth. John says he's full of grace and truth. I have been so taken by the image of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 lately, just reading it devotionally, where John has this vision of Jesus in the heavenly realms, and a lot of it's symbolic, of course, but it says that his eyes are like flaming fire, and his face shone like the sun, and his voice was like the sound of roaring waters. It puts me on my knees before him. Lord, how glorious and majestic you are, Jesus, the real Jesus, the lover of our souls, the one who will come again to judge the living and the dead and who will set up his eternal kingdom here on this earth. And it puts me down before him, and it brings tears to my eyes that I, Lord Jesus, get to worship you, the real you. It brings me both to a place of fear and trembling, a, a holy fear and trembling, but a place of overwhelming love as well to know that he, the Lord of heaven and earth, loved me and died for my sins. We have to make sure that we get the real Jesus. Now, Paul goes on and he says this. Now, here's a good way that you know that you're following the real Jesus and you're being very open about the Jesus that you follow. Paul says, this is Jesus who I preached in my gospel for which I am suffering. Bound with chains as a criminal. You know you're following the real Jesus when there is at least a little bit of persecution or insult or condescension from other people in your life because of who you stand for and what you stand for. It's a great, it's a great test if we're really boldly and explicitly following Jesus. Is that mic volume sounding okay to everyone? We got new speakers hooked up in here and is it okay? Okay, good. 
the reason that Paul was suffering is because he preached the real Jesus and the real Jesus stirs things up. You look at what the, what Paul does when he's walking through the book of Acts and preaching the real Jesus, people get mad because he's calling them to account for their sin and their rejection of the real Jesus and people get upset. And so you get imprisoned, you get beat, you get persecuted. It's the same for us. You might lose friends. You really might lose friends. I have when you start saying, I have to stand with Jesus and his word on this controversial issue. I'm sorry. I love you, but I have to stand with what the word of God says on such and such. Paul says this. He says, I'm suffering bound with chains, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that is for the people of Christ, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, my seminary professor used to say, my New Testament professor used to say, um, if somebody asked St. Paul, brother, are you saved? He would say, I can't wait. (laughs) Because in Scripture, we actually are saved in the past, right? Because we're saved and we confess our sins and we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. We're also in the process of being saved by what he's doing in our lives. And we also will obtain salvation in all of its fullness when we meet him face to face. And so some of us forget about that. And there's a false doctrine out there in Christianity, what I would call hyper grace or false grace that says, once you've accepted Jesus and said your prayer to him and said the sinner's prayer and and he's forgiven your sins, you've got nothing to worry about because it's all grace from there on out. But that's actually not the message of scripture the message of scripture is that if grace has been received into your life it will transform your heart and it will change the way that you live and you will actually live like jesus lived right and we don't get there in one night over we don't uh, wake up the next morning and it look just like jesus but there's a process of transformation that's going on if we've really received grace people who say you know don't get too tied up and don't get too bogged down by your sin don't worry about that you know just if god's grace covers you I run, please run in the other direction. If someone starts talking to you like that, I'm going to read some things to you from scripture in a minute about how from the new Testament about, um, about walking in that kind of stuff. Now there's this, um, there's this sort of idea out there, uh, that is thrown around in uh, Christian circles of, of eternal security, or that sometimes people say once saved, always saved. Well, once I'm saved, I'm always saved because God's grace, God won't withdraw his grace. Um, if, the, the conjunction that Paul gives us here, if it's an extremely important conditional conjunction, conditional conjunction, if we endure with him, if we endure with him, you know that a life of unrepentant and persistent sin will actually result in you actually not living out your faith in Jesus. And God, as much as he hates to do it, will let people go who persist and persist and persist in living a life of sin. Now, Paul shifts from an encouraging word. First, he says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Um, That's the good news. He's alive. And then now he kind of challenges us. He says, if we endure with him, we will also be, uh, we will reign with him. Now, what an awesome promise. He goes on and he says, the saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. This is, an, this is an amazing promise. How do I know if I've died with him? That's the question, right? Because baptism is the outward symbol. What we say, an outward symbol of an inward and spiritual grace. But it doesn't mean that you're walking with Jesus if a priest sprinkled water on your forehead when you were a baby, okay? 
I, I'm not going to get into Anglican theology and Catholic theology and re- Protestant theology and the different debates about baptism, but it is so clear to me that there are people who have been baptized who are living apart from Jesus Christ because we have free will. You see, baptism is the outward symbol in a beautiful and powerful one it is, but it's a symbol of an inner reality. And so the question is, does the inner reality of my life match what was said over me at the baptismal font or in the lake, if you're like me, a Protestant boy? You see, the evidence according to Scripture is that the Holy Spirit of God is in you, changing the way you live readjusting the way that you think, the way that you spend time with Him, how you communicate with the Father, exposing sin, being open to His exposing of your sin so that it can be confessed and turned away from. I have have had confrontations with people say, you need to turn from the sin, and they say, you know what, I'm I'm all fine in my relationship with God. I don't need you to tell me that. Not if it's out of line with what Scripture says. And, And evidence of the Holy Spirit is that we have a tenderness in our hearts to say, Lord, you're right. Ah, you keep putting your finger on that, Lord. Thank you for exposing it so I can, I can confess it to you. This is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is active in us, enabling us to get rid of the hatred and the bitterness and the lust and the, and the deception and to love others radically and to give up our lives for Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if He dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And so Paul is saying, you really have hope in the resurrection. There will be evidence that the resurrection life is already in you now, in this life, transforming who you are in the core of your being. It's a beautiful process. It's painful sometimes. It's painful sometimes, but it's a beautiful process that Jesus is making us more and more like him. He says to us, anyone who wants to follow me, must take up his cross daily and follow me. Those who want to save their lives will lose them. But those who lose them for my sake will save them. When we give up everything for him, we gain everything eternally. We gain everything. And so many people want to keep their earthly life as the most important thing and then they want to attach the name of Jesus to it for fire insurance so that they can go to heaven when they die. And that is not what the Bible is all about. That is not the story of the Bible. It's about an active, present-day life with Jesus, life of trans, trans, uh, transformation that continues for all of eternity. Friends, don't miss out on the joy of the life here and now with Jesus. And don't be deceived to thinking that you're following Jesus. If you're living like a world and you're saying, ah, you know, maybe down the road I'll, 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 I'll deal with this issue in my life. God's grace is covering me. Don't, don't play fast and loose with God's grace. It does not honor Him. You see, lip service to grace means nothing if we're persisting in sin. Proverbs chapter 30, I came across this verse the other day reading and it struck me so deep. It said, there are those who are clean in their own eyes but are not washed of their filth. There are those who are clean in their own eyes but are not washed of their filth. Now, I'm not, I, I don't mean to create paranoia for people, right? There's so many people in this room that are walking in purity, seeking to honor God with their lives. I'm not trying to create paranoia so that you're walking on eggshells. But I do want to challenge the people who are playing fast and loose with a holy God's grace and telling them themselves, telling themselves that they can keep fooling around with their sin in their life with no consequences. Paul says the wages of sin is death. See, friends, it... it if you think, I'll get rid of this sin eventually, you know, 
right now I'm going to kind of eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, maybe when I'm older, God will, you know, forgive me and I'll take care of this. That's a sign that you don't understand, nor are you being transformed by grace. And so there's a, there's a need for some of us to have a, what we call a come to Jesus moment or a come back to Jesus moment. And that's a beautiful thing when that happens. It's his will for us. <clears throat> Let me just read you something. You don't see these kind of passages usually come up in the lectionary for some reason. But this is from 1 John, the beloved disciple, who the guy who laid his head on Jesus' chest, who loved him so much. Um, he was the pastor of a community, and he, this is what he says. You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who, ab- no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. He's talking about making a practice of sinning. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now listen to this. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came not to say, got you covered, you're good, live as you want, see you in heaven. He came to take the bondages off of our life of darkness, sin, addiction, lust, pride, arrogance, bitterness, jealousy, envy, greed, theft, all of those things, and to take it away and to wipe it away and to destroy the works of the devil. John says a couple chapters later, we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And Jesus came to set people free. And so the word of God challenges us to ask, am I free? Am I really walking in the freedom? Some of us are missing out on joy uh, in, in trying to figure out why, what is it in my life that's missing? What is it in my life that's missing? I'm joy. I'm dealing with, with depression. And I know there's real mental illness and things like that out there. But some of it is that we're still kind of clinging to the old life. And we haven't actually handed everything over to Jesus and said, I want to die, Lord, to myself so that I can really live and let your life flow through me. You see, friends, the only thing God asks us to forsake The only thing that God asks us to forsake are the things that we were never created for anyway. He made you for him. And so he says, stop walking apart from the destiny I have for you. You're destroying yourself. You're destroying others. And he says, if you die to this self-centeredness, you're going to have the life that is really life. The life of peace and joy and righteousness and you will live that life forever in my presence. Friends, I, when I look at my life, be, I am totally honest with you. I, there is still sin that I find attractive and I hate it. And I know that he's transforming me. And if I don't get before him constantly and call out for him to guard me against the things of this world that appeal to my flesh, that appeal to the appetites and the desires that are in me. I will not have victory if I don't have him to endure. Paul says this, he goes on, he continues on and says, if we endure, there's that conditional conjunction again, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Friends, if we endure, it will get hard. I'm telling you that our culture is pressing harder and harder against the Christian faith. I'm not talking about the watered-down version of the Christian faith that the simple message is just love everyone and everything will be okay. Just Democrats love Republicans and Republicans love Democrats and that's Christianity. That is not Christianity. 
But I'm talking about a faith in Jesus that is grounded in the authority of the God-breathed scriptures. And some of us have been on the fence about certain issues in culture, trying to decide because we want to love people, but we know what the word of God says about it. Friends, there is a way to say, I love you, but I can't affirm this part of the way that you live because the word of God is clear about God's intentions for his creations and for his humanity. There is a way to do that in love. Here's the other thing. It will also get hard to continue to live a life of self-denying love for others. It will be hard. This world it offers us so much. It's going to be hard to endure the temptations and allure of money, sex, power, luxurious living, all of those things. But Paul says, if we endure. Jesus says those who endure to the end will be saved. If we endure, we will reign with him. Did you know? Did you know that the Bible says that the saints will judge the world and reign with Christ over his new creation? He loves us that much. He, he, he loves us that much. He wants to share his reign over the glorious new creation where heaven comes to earth. He wants to share the reigning of it with the saints. That's how much he loves us. And when we're reigning with him, we will look back at our lives and we'll say, oh my goodness, the endurance was nothing. It was like a little blip on the screen of eternity because this is awesome. This is amazing, Jesus. How did I ever, ever in, even indulge in that sin? How did I ever, ever withhold forgiveness from that person? This is amazing. It'll just be like a little blip on the screen. Now Paul goes on. This is his second challenge in the passage, and it's a big one. He says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Jesus uh, echoed this in Matthew chapter 10. He said, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Again, that's not the Jesus that you generally uh, hear about on the radio or on television. So it challenges us to ask, do I deny him by the way that I live? Do I deny him in my communication? Do you know sometimes we deny him by what we don't say? Sometimes we deny him by what we don't say. But friends, to come to a place where you can speak boldly of your faith in Jesus. It is the most freeing thing in the world. When you get to the place where he's, he is so beautiful to you that you just don't care what people think. It's amazing. And I'm not there yet. I'm still a work in progress. But, but I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm just now 10 years into being a Christian, just now starting to come into this freedom. But I still have a long ways to go. And there are still too many times that I don't speak up. When he's prompting me to. But coming to that place of freedom comes out of falling in love with him. Being with him in the private place. Giving everything to him. Trusting him and his love for us. Now, challenging passage. Challenging passage. And it all may seem impossibly difficult is God an exacting, burdensome bully who creates a sadistic obstacle for us so that he can get pleasure watching us try and fail miserably? Imagine a scenario with me for a moment. Imagine signing up in college for an advanced trigonometry class. 
because it's required to complete your degree. I shudder. Not a math guy. In the first day, a professor says, halfway through this course, most of you will be very familiar with the angles of the letter F because you're going to fail. Trigonometry is about triangles. I thought that was good. There's not going to be much hope. Now imagine a different professor. He comes in and he says, welcome everyone. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you signed up for advanced trig. This class is extremely difficult, especially if math is not your cup of tea. But you're going to get an A because I'm the best trigonometry teacher you could get. And I'm going to walk with you through all the challenges and I'm going to help you accomplish all the work I give you. See the difference? It's the same difficult course. Our image of God will make a profound difference in how we view the challenge of living faithfully for Jesus. Are God's standards high for his people? Yes. You shall be holy as I am holy. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Are they impossible? No. Because if the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, his grace will enable faithfulness. His grace will enable you in those moments of temptation. His grace will enable you in those moments of persecution. His grace is enough. Now, what about when I fail? Am I hopeless? You see, we have to view moral and spiritual failure rightly, and I want to talk about that just for a second. The Bible's not saying you're never going to sin if you know Jesus. We have failure. We'd all be in bad shape if that was the case. But he's a God of grace. God knows the difference between immaturity and rebellion. God knows the difference in our hearts between weakness, immaturity, and rebellion against him, standing against what he says in his word. He knows the difference. He's gracious. He's not rejecting you in anger when you fail. He loves you even as you are failing. Say, God loves me when I'm messing up. Brennan Manning was a, at once a, a Roman Catholic priest, but uh, left the priesthood as no stranger to sin and failure, became a, a, a raging alcoholic, uh, uh, lived a very, very difficult life, and uh, was restored to fellowship with the Lord. In uh, one of his books, he says this, a very beautiful writer, he says, what makes authentic disciples is not visions, ecstasies, biblical mastery of chapter and verse, or spectacular success in the ministry, but a capacity for faithfulness. Buffeted by the fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions, and bruised by rejection and ridicule, authentic disciples may have stumbled and frequently fallen, endured lapses and relapses, gotten handcuffed to the flesh pots and wandered into a far country, yet they kept coming back to Jesus. You see, we're either moving further away from him in our sin or we're moving towards him. Even in the failures, we can move towards him at his own invitation. Jesus said this to his disciples. I want to remind you of these words. We can't read them enough. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's the goal. You know it's not wrong to seek after God for the reward of joy in his presence. That's actually the goal, is to find him more delightful and desirable and to find more joy in him than anything or anyone else in all of the world. That's the relationship he's inviting us into. It's a beautiful thing. He's calling me again. Yes, Lord? (laughs) I think I said what you wanted me to. Yes, they seem nervous. Thanks, Dad. Yes. Bye. Will you lay down your life and move closer to him every single day? He's calling you by name. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And many of us, Lord, we're struggling in our walk with you. Struggling with the prayer closet. Struggling with the the little temptations of this world that are still uh, pricking us. Still getting too much of our attention. Lord, we need your grace to overcome. We need your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would uh, just give us a ministry of your Holy Spirit right now to strengthen us, uh, just to reveal those things in our minds and our hearts, Lord, that you want us to see, that you're putting your finger on, um, that are just hindrances to a deeper, more loving, more rich and joyful relationship with you. Lord, we just give you a moment of silence to speak to us in this room today. Father, thank you that you love us that much, that you discipline us as children so that because we are your children. Lord, now as we come together around this table, I pray that you would minister your grace to us through the body and blood of your Son. It is in his mighty name that we pray. Amen.